Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we are continuing on our series on wisdom. This is the second sermon in our wisdom series. The title of the message today is The Nature of Wisdom. When somebody has good godly wisdom, what does that look like? We're going to discuss that this morning. Please enjoy. James chapter 3, two weeks ago, uh, we started a series on wisdom. And last week, of course, we took a break from that series. Wasn't those those guys great last week? Man, that was just an awesome, awesome thing. We've already got them scheduled to come back next year. So uh, they've already promised. They said, said, Brother Brett, I'm sorry we're a man down. I was like, that's okay. You can make make it up to me next year. So uh, they coming back next year, and so I am looking forward to that. Thank you. We have a signal. I said, I need water. (laughs) She brought me water, so it's like she can read my mind. James chapter 3. If you have your place in James chapter 3, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand Respect and reverence to the Word of God while we read the Scripture. We're going to read two verses, verses 17 and verse number 18 of James chapter 3. The Bible says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Title of the message this morning is The Nature of Wisdom. The Nature of Wisdom. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come to you and ask that you please bless the message today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that this bring us closer to you. Show us, teach us about godly wisdom. We need it, Lord. We have to have that godly wisdom. Show us from the word of God. For as this in Jesus Christ, for his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, while most kids my age, give me a little bit more volume. While most kids my age, they grew up watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and DuckTales and Tailspin. You know, I watched all those things too. But while everybody else was going to spend the night at your buddy's house, I was going to spend the night at my papa's house. So he had these, these ancient old things that were called VHS tapes. I have to spell that out for the millennials. VHS tapes. And, uh, you know, they were these funny little block-looking things, but you put them in this little machine, and it played movies. It was, you can fast-forward, rewind. And, well, anyway, he had a whole bunch of tapes, and uh, me and my papa, we just always watched videotapes when I'd spend the night at his house. And he had the whole run, I've told you all this before, he had the whole run of Rawhide. So I watched Rawhide with my papa. I know all about Gil Favor and Rowdy Yates, and I know all about that. And he'd always, uh, we'd watch the Clint Eastwoods, and he watched all the Man with the Man with No Name movies and the Spaghetti Westerns. If you don't know what a Spaghetti Western is, Google it. You'll learn something. And uh, so another thing that another thing that he, ha- but one thing that he loved the most of all is he loved the Duke, loved old John Wayne. 
Me and him, we had our three favorite John Wayne movies, and it was McClintock, Big Jake, and North to Alaska. Those about our, we shared our three favorite ones, and he liked the Quiet Man too, but you know, but uh, he's just a big fan of John Wayne. Now, John Wayne was just a no-nonsense, common-sense kind of guy. He knew how to cut to the chase and get right down to business. And there's a famous saying that, that John Wayne used to say. He never said it in his movies, but in his real life, he'd say it all the time. And, uh, you know, the, here's the saying that John Wayne would say. He'd say, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. Okay, and that's just a little saying that that John Wayne would say life is hard, but it's, it's harder when you're stupid. Now, like I said, John Wayne was a no fluff, no nonsense, common sense kind of guy, and he didn't have a whole lot of discretion. Or maybe we can make that statement sound a little bit nicer, a little bit more positive. And so let's say today that life is hard, but it's easier with God's wisdom. Life is hard. But it's easier with God's wisdom. And that's a nicer way of saying the same thing. But both statements are just as true. But our first problem is when it comes to God's wisdom is we have to find out how to get it. We have to find out that we have a need for it. And that's why two weeks ago we talked about obtaining wisdom. And the scripture we preached on was James 1.5. And James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God... They giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So if I need good godly wisdom, I can go to God, and as long as I get the roadblocks out of the way, I can ask God for wisdom, and he will give me that wisdom. Now, once again, let's remind us of what the definition of wisdom is. The definition of wisdom is not the accumulation of facts. It's not the gathering of knowledge. Wisdom allows you how to use knowledge. Wisdom shows you how to use facts. You can be smart as a whip and still be very foolish. You're foolish not because you don't know the facts. You can pass the ATC and you can make a perfect score and you can get these scholarships and graduate the top of your class and you can have all this stuff, but if you don't know how to use the knowledge you have, you can be the smartest person in the world, in the world but still be a fool because you don't have what wisdom. And you know, most of the smart people, they are the most foolish. They think they know it all. And in the area of God's wisdom is mostly where they're lacking. So once we've attained this wisdom, once we've got this good, good godly wisdom, what do we do then? How does a person act that has godly wisdom? How is that person supposed to act? What are the characteristics, what are the traits of a person that has good godly wisdom? What are the marks of someone that has godly wisdom. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what our scripture is all about. Then what is the nature of wisdom? What are the characteristics of wisdom? If you have wisdom, how are you going to act? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's, we're going to look through these, these verses and we're going to see how we measure up we compare to godly wisdom. Let's jump right into it. Number one this morning, we see that godly wisdom... It is pure. It is pure. The verse says in uh, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Look, if God is pure, then everything that comes from God is pure. 
That means that his wisdom is pure. And you know, wisdom means, wisdom means, uh, I mean, what pure means, it means free from moral stain. I've got this, I've got the oil chain shop and I've had my pit men down in there for years and they clean the pit with a garden hose. We always buy those little sprayers you put on the end, but they always break. So most of the time they put the laundry detergent down and wet it and scrape it with the broom and then they get a garden hose. And if they needed some pressure, all you got to do is put your little thumb over there. Just kind of cover your thumb up a little bit. And you'll get some pressure. You could put some thumb over that. You'll be fine. But last year, my owner gave me permission to buy an electric power washer for the pit. And when I pulled up to that shop with the power washer, my pit man, his name is Kenny, his eyes got that big. He was just in hog heaven. He grabbed that power washer, and for two days, he cleaned that pit. And uh, the catwalk on that pit, it's an iron, you know, it's, it's about, you know, three or four foot up in the air where we can reach the cars. And it's an iron frame, and it's got plywood across the top. And that plywood was just stained so black and just awful filth. And he got on there, he stood on that catwalk, and he took that power washer, and he got as close as he could. And he went real slow back and forth till he did the whole thing. And you know, when he was done, you could actually see the wood grain in the plywood. You know how many years it had been since we had seen the wood grain in the plywood? All that black, all that filth, all that stain, all that, it, all that crummy stuff had just been stripped away. It had been power washed away. And you could actually, for the first time in years, see the wood grain on the catwalk. Every once in a while, we need a good power washing. Every once in a while, we need a good power washing. We need to get those sin stains out of our life. Now, I want you to see here, it also says, first pure. It says, first pure. You know why? Because the first effect of godly wisdom in your life is purity. That's the first effect. Man, you think if you got good godly wisdom, that your first effect is you're going to be more enlightened. You think the first effect is you're going to be more intelligent. You think the first effect is, man, the preacher's going to preach on a verse. I'm not, I'm not going to have any questions about it. You think, well, if I've got godly wisdom, my memory will be better. If I've got godly wisdom, my judgment's going to be better. No, the first effect is purity. The first effect of good godly wisdom in your life is the desire to lead a pure life. You will stop living in sin. Now, I did not say, I did not say stop sinning. That is impossible. You will never get to the point where you will stop sinning. I didn't say that. I said stop living in sin. Stop harboring sin in your life. There are many, there are many different ways you can live in sin. Maybe it's a lie you told one day and now you're having to keep up that lie. You're having to live in that lie. And remember everything you said, and that's a, that's a form of living in sin. Maybe it's an immoral sin or sexual sin that has just overtaken your life. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a sinful habit that has consumed every part of your life. Uh, well, how, however you want to put it, whatever form it comes in, uh, it, when you get God, good godly wisdom, you're going to be motivated to live a pure life. 
You're going to be motivated to purify yourself from that sin. Like I said, we all need a good power washing from the Holy Spirit every once in a while. We need to let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and wash us inside and wash us outside and clean us and get rid of that stain and get rid of that filth and live a pure life. You know another reason why purity comes first? Because without purity, nothing else matters. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, listen to this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, that's not just a theory. That's how life actually works. That's how life actually works. When your heart is pure, you will see God. That's a promise in the Bible. You know, do you, uh, do you, do you, do you want to see God? You may say, Brother Brett, I'm going through such a tough time right now. I'm going through such a tough time and man, I, I just don't see God anywhere in my life. Are you living in sin? Are you harboring sin in your heart? Man, you know what? Is your heart pure? The first characteristic of someone that has godly wisdom is the desire to be pure. You see, when, when you're pure, you're out of step with the world when you're pure. I'm going to use another word my papa used to say. When you're, when, you're, when you're pure, you and the world don't jihaw. Okay? You and the world don't jihaw when you're pure. And if you're okay with that, if you're okay with being out of step with the world, then we can talk about the rest of the list. But if you need the world's approval, if you desire the world's approval on your life, then you're out of step with God and the door to wisdom is closed to you. How bad do you want to be pure? Brother Brett, I need wisdom. This is a situation. This is a decision I have to make. I need the mind of God. I need the wisdom of God. Are you pure? Or is that sin stain still there? We got to get the word of God and power wash that sin out of there. If we want wisdom. Number two, it's peaceable. It's peaceable. And what that means is godly wisdom is peaceable. It means it's peace loving. It's peace loving. Look, some people don't want to get along. They don't want to get along. All they want to do is fight. All they want to do is shout and not listen. They never give an inch because they think they're always right. They aren't concerned about finding a middle ground uh, because it's either their way or the highway. They're not peacemakers. They are peacebreakers. You know, the Greek word translated peaceable, it, it, speaks, to, it speaks to peace in our time of, of conflict. You know, if you back up a few verses in James chapter, in the same chapter, but you back up to verses 14 through 16, James talks about another type of wisdom. The type of wisdom he talks about in those verses is earthly wisdom. He say, calls it earthly, sensual, unspiritual, devilish wisdom. This sort, that sort of wisdom, it brings chaos wherever it goes. But you know what? God's wisdom is different. When you're filled with God's wisdom, you're full of peace. You're full of re reconciliation. You're an advocate for peace. Do you know somebody that when they walk into a room, 
Everybody tenses up. When you walk in, when they walk into the room, everybody starts watching what they say. When they walk into a room, everybody's on pins and needles. Everybody's all tensed up. Don't say anything. Be quiet. You know anybody like Because one false word will just set them off. You know anybody like that? That's not a, that's not a peace lover. You no, know that is. That's a human tornado who leaves destruction everywhere they go. That's not a peace lover. That's a peace breaker. You know, God's wisdom is different. A peace-loving person, when they walk into a room, they bring an atmosphere of peace. When a peace-loving person walks into a room, there's this, uh, there's this peace that comes in the room with them. You see, because they're at peace with God, they can be at peace with themselves. You know what the wisest person in the world had to say? The wisest man who ever lived. You know what he had to say about this situation? He said it in Proverbs 14.30. He said, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. We have to turn away from violence. We have to turn away from hatred. We have to turn away from bitterness. We have to turn away from animosity. Because these, these rotten bones are in our lives. You know why they're there? They're there because of envy. Do you know that you can trace most bitterness back to envy? You can trace most of it back to envy. Oh, so-and-so's in charge. I want to be in charge. Oh, look at what so-and-so's got. I want that. And these are rotten bones in our lives caused mostly by envy. It doesn't have to be that way. Godly wisdom seeks peace and loves peace. Someone who seeks conflict is not wise. Number three, godly wisdom is gentle. It is gentle or in other words, it's considerate. You know, this quality is hard to narrow down to one English word. And it means, it means gentle, non-combative, non-quarrelsome, not easily annoyed, lenient towards others. You know when you have this quality? You have this quality when you're under the gun, when tempers are short, when uh, you're worn out. When you're overwhelmed, let me ask you a question. How are you under pressure? How do you react under pressure? If you have to shout, you lose. If you have to threaten, you lose. Someone once said it this way. If you lose, if you lose your cool, you can't win. If you keep your cool, you can't lose. This is the kind of wisdom you need when... You're stuck in a traffic jam and you're running late. This is the type of wisdom you need when someone cuts you off, when someone cuts in line, someone starts yelling at you. Let me tell you something. This is the kind of wisdom you need when you deal with difficult people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you now. I'm going to give you something, a little nugget of knowledge you didn't know. Every once in a while, you're going to have to deal with difficult people. Every once in a blue moon. Actually, it happens pretty often. 
You're going to have to deal with difficult people. And this is the trait you need when you deal with difficult people. You have to be gentle. You need this when you deal with Christians who sin. When you deal with friends that disappoint you because they will, because they're human. Especially you need this when you deal with rebellious children. Oh, Brother Brett. I just tell it like it is. That's how I am, Brother Brett. I just tell it like it is. I didn't say you couldn't tell it like it is. But I am saying you can tell it like it is and still be gentle. You can tell it like it is and still be a considerate person. You know how I know you can be gentle? Because Jesus was gentle with you. Jesus was gentle with me. Man, you know what? <laughs> and I'm glad of that. I am glad Jesus doesn't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. Aren't you glad of that? We're not. Jesus doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. Psalms 103.10. Listen to this. He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If me and you got what we deserve, we'd be in hell right now. That's what we got. That's what we get if we got what we deserved. But we receive mercy. And if we can receive mercy to him, we can show mercy to others. I'm talking about good godly wisdom. What does a person with godly wisdom look like? Number four, godly wisdom is easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated. You know what that means? That means persuadable. Persuadable. Now, in order to understand this, it'd be wise to understand its opposite, and that would be earthly wisdom. Let me explain to you earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is arrogant. Earthly wisdom is stubborn. Arrogant and stubborn. It refuses to listen and has no desire to hear anybody and no desire to hear anybody else's opinion. It takes a position and it holds on to it no matter what. I don't care what evidence you show me. I don't care what proof you've got. I've always believed this. I'm never going to change. I don't care what you have to say. It's what earthly wisdom is. Now, a person like this dominates every discussion. Person like this uses sarcasm to put other people down. A person like this is the center of tension of attention in every room they go in. That's not godly wisdom. You know what God's wisdom looks like? It looks nothing like that. God's the, the Greek word entreated here, it's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. And it means easy to persuade. You know what this person does? This person listens to every side of the argument because they want to know the truth. They're more interested in the truth than anything else. But I don't want you to think that this person's a pushover. I want you, they're not a pushover. They have deep, they have deep convictions, but the problem is, is they're not going to parade them around and argue about them all the time. That's the difference. I'm not saying they don't have convictions. They have convictions. This person will listen to others, even listen to people they disagree with because they know everybody has something to teach them. Here's a little test. Here's a little test to see if you have this trait. Here's three questions. Question one, can you disagree agreeably? Can you disagree agreeably? Can you discuss your deep convictions without losing your temper? Can you listen kindly to someone who holds another position. 
the liberal left has already failed this test many, many multitude of times. When you present the liberal, liberal left with a different line of thinking, they can't handle it and they respond with intolerance. When a conservative speaker goes to a liberal college campus to speak on conservative values, the liberals lay outside the auditorium and they roll around on the ground and they scream and they cry and they kick and they whine and they set fires. They just can't handle someone else who thinks different. They can't handle it. But it's not just the godless pagans. It's us in here too. Let me tell you something. From time to time, there are going to come times when we don't agree on every single little thing in the Word of God. We're human beings. We're not going to agree on every single solitary thing. And when that happens, it doesn't mean we have to break fellowship. That's not what it means. You might believe in the gap theory, that there's a gap between verse 1 and 2 in Genesis 1. I don't believe in the gap theory. That doesn't mean we can't still fellowship together. That doesn't mean we, there has to be animosity. And, that's, that's, you know, as long as it's not some big doctrinal thing that's going to send somebody to hell, as long as it's something that's not going to attack the deity of Christ, bless God, we can still get along. We can still fellowship with each other. We can disagree agreeably. Number five, full of mercy and good fruits. You know what I call this? I call this compassion with action. Full of mercy and good fruits is compassion with action. Mercy is more than a feeling. Mercy sees a need and meets the need. And that's why he adds full of good fruit. Oh, let me tell you something. Sympathy is a good thing. It's a good thing to have sympathy. But only if it moves you to action. You see a dog. You see a dog come up and the dog is skin and bones and fur is missing and it hadn't ate in days. And you can tell it hadn't had any water in a couple days. And you look down and you say, oh, poor little doggy. And you go on about your business. Did you do that dog any good? Can that dog eat your sympathy? Can that dog drink your sympathy? No, it can't. But if you were to stop and feed that dog, if you were to stop and give that dog water, compassion with action. You actually did something. Compassion with action. We live in a world today that is unmerciful. Vengeance is the goal. If you, hit, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back twice as hard. You hurt my family, I'm going to make sure you learn a lesson. I'm going to be after you until that lesson is learned. And when you get revenge and when you get vengeance, oh, it just feels so good. It feels so right. It feels like this is the way it's supposed to be. Yes. But God calls us to a higher standard. God calls us to a higher standard. A person that has godly wisdom will not act that way. It was because of God's great mercy, you understand, it was because of God's great mercy that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. What if God says, you know what? What if God said to us, you know what? I'm sorry about that whole you going to hell thing. I wish there was something I could do about it. But bless your little old heart, there's just nothing I can do, okay? 
See you later. Good luck with that. I'm glad he didn't say that. I'm glad he didn't say that. We need to do unto others as God has done unto us. Look back over the last year of your life. Has God blessed you? And bless others. Has God forgiven you? Forgive others. Has God lifted you up when you were down? You lift people up when they're down. Has God overlooked your faults? You overlook the faults of others. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for mercy is sometimes translated as lovely or, or beautiful. When you have compassion with action, when you have mercy that produces good fruits, you become to that person, you become beautiful. You become beautiful to that person. So this is a quality that is a trait of godly wisdom. Number six, godly wisdom is without partiality. Now, this is another particular Greek word that you can't find anywhere else in the New Testament. And it, hold, and it means holding firm to the same standards at all times. This kind of person uh, is free from prejudice and free from favoritism. In 2012, there was an NFL referee. His name was Brian Strapolo. Brian Strapolo was chosen to be a referee in a game against the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers. Right before the game, somebody got on Brian Strapoli's uh, Facebook and learned that he was a diehard Saints fan. It was plastered all over his Facebook. So they fired him from refing that game because they didn't think he could be, they thought he would be partial to the Saints because he was a Saints fan. Now, I'm not that smart a person. I don't know much about it, but if you're an NFL referee, it's probably not a good idea to post all over your Facebook that you're a Saints fan when you're going to ref one of their games. That's probably not the wisest course of action. It's probably not the smartest thing to do. But, you know, if you apply, if you apply this trait to the Christian life, what it means is that you tell the truth the first time. You ever know somebody that their story changes depending on who they're talking to? Amen. They'll talk to one person, tell one story, but then they'll go over here and talk to another person, tell another story. It all depends on who their audience is. You never know somebody like that? This is, the Bible's saying we don't need to be that way. This also means you don't treat one group better than another group. It also means that you're the same person in public that you are in private. I read a story about a man who died. His, one of his buddies stood up at his funeral. And he said, I, I knew this man for 50 years. He was the same honest man at the end of his life that he was at the beginning. I can't think of a finer compliment that can be given to someone at their funeral. You know what? Wisdom from heaven. Wisdom that comes from heaven is impartial. And then number seven, without hypocrisy. You know, in other words, you know what that means? And without hypocrisy, in other words, that means sincere. This is a Greek word that means not playing a part. In ancient Greek plays, 
an actor would wear a mask to play a different person. And he'd put that mask on and he'd go out and play that different person. But the thing is, one actor could play several parts in the same Greek play. Because what he'd do is he'd wear one mask and then go in the back and put on a different mask and then come out and he's a different person. Without, his, without hypocrisy, it means what you see is what you get. It means you're not two-faced. It means you don't go in the back and put on a different mask and be someone else. It means you're not going to judge somebody for one thing when you're guilty of the same thing or maybe even something worse. You know who a hypocrite's trying to fool? You think a hypocrite's trying to fool God. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. You know, because you're not going to fool God. You may think a hypocrite's trying to fool other people. Well, maybe for a time they can do that. But let me tell you something. Eventually, given enough time, everybody sees through a hypocrite. Given enough time, everybody sees through them. But you know, they might not know it, but you know who they're really trying to fool? They're really trying to fool themselves. James says in James 1.22, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. That sounds like a hypocrite to me. Deceiving your own selves. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious, that sounds like a hypocrite. And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. A hypocrite may start out knowing that they're living a double life is wrong, but given enough time, that hypocrite will convince themselves that they are right. They will deceive their own selves. Godly wisdom is not that way. Godly wisdom is sincere. What you see is what you get. I'm not going to put on a show. I'm not going to be one person over here and another person over there. I'm going to be the same person every place I go. Be sincere. So we've done all these traits. Now what? Now we come to verse 18. And verse 18 explains what happens when we live according to God's wisdom. Let's look at verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let me tell you something. Anger, anger produces a harvest. The harvest that anger produces is violence and hatred. But you know peace? Peace produces the harvest too. The harvest of peace is mercy and love and forgiveness and reconciliation and healing. The harvest of peace is righteousness. And when you have godly wisdom, if you look at all these traits and you put them all together, it makes you a peacemaker. It makes you someone who's an advocate for peace. But you know, peacemakers are often misunderstood. Peacemakers are often attacked by both sides. Peacemakers, they'll rarely win applause from the world because just like the world will pay, pay a lot of money to see uh, uh, Mike Tyson fight Evander Holyfield, the world loves a good fight. The world loves a good fight. They're not interested in your peace. 
but a wise man will sow the seeds of peace, will grow righteousness. Why? Because that's just how godly wisdom is. That's the characteristics of someone with, with godly wisdom. It's the nature of wisdom.